invite you again to take your Bibles and open it to 1 Timothy chapter 4, and today we'll close the chapter together, 1 Timothy 4, and we'll study from verse 11 up until verse 16. 1 Timothy 4 from verse 11. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. It's the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Father, we ask you, who would please help us to understand this text that you would help all of us as your children to commit fully to the gifts that you've given us to serve Christ and your church. Give us clarity about how this looks like practically and give us courage, Lord, to stand for your truth no matter what. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So young Timothy had an incredibly difficult task to fulfill here at Ephesus. Remember, Paul left Timothy here to silence the false teachers, to restore gender roles within the church, to ensure qualified elders, biblical deacons, and to faithfully instruct the church in good teaching. What a mountain of tasks that young Timothy had to do. Now, I cannot imagine as a young man, Timothy being a young man, all the fears, the questions, the insecurities, and the struggles that he had to face alone. His mentor and discipler, Paul, was not with him. He had to do this on his own. He had to be strong and courageous like Joshua, leading the people of God in God's will. And to do this work, he needed to be a commendable leader, someone that is worthy to be followed. No one can lead a church. No one can be a leader and be untrustworthy or a hypocrite. So in this section of our text, Paul again gives command of the command of the command to Timothy what he must do in order to commend his ministry to the church so that the church would be able to follow him even as a younger man. Now notice something about this text is that this is something that he must ensure for himself. Look at verse 13 when it says, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading. Look at verse 15. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them. In verse 16, Keep a close, close watch on yourself. Timothy, you must do these things. You are responsible. No one else is going to do these things for you. You make sure you do them. Remember, all of the you and the yourselves here are in the singular. It's Paul is thinking here primarily only of one person. He's thinking of Timothy when he speaks here. But this is far from just a military officer shouting down commands to a, a subordinate. No, Paul is also encouraging, strengthening Timothy for the battle. He reminds him of the gift that he has received through prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on him. And he also reminds him that Paul is coming soon in verse 13. Just the first line of that when he says, Until I come, 
What an encouragement. That would have encouraged me to know, okay, I'm doing this, but Paul is coming. You see, so although Timothy's position is critical, it is not permanent. Timothy is a man under authority, under the authority of the word and even the apostle Paul. Now, for most of you sitting here, you might wonder, okay, what does this whole section, what does this have to do with me? Okay, I'm not going to be a leader in the church. I'm not going to fulfill these commands. So why am I here? Well, did you notice what is at stake if Timothy doesn't do this at the end of verse 16? Did you notice that when he says, persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and whom? And your hearers. Nothing less than the pastor's own salvation as well as your salvation is at stake when the pastor is persisting in these things. So this is something you need to know. What you need to know is a commendable pastor, a commendable minister of the gospel. You must know this, that if this pastor or anybody else coming behind this pulpit is not doing these things, either you should remove that pastor or you should leave churches. That's the idea here. So this is applicable for all of us. We need men as pastors who will be commendable. Now in our text, we'll see that Timothy must commend his ministry in three ways. By upholding his authority, by growing in his gift, and by committing with everything he has. So those are the three ways which Timothy needs to commend his ministry. And, and every point will neatly fit with two verses each. So the first way Timothy must commend his ministry is, number one, by upholding his authority. So Timothy, to be a commendable pastor, must uphold his authority. Look at verse 11 to 12. He says, Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Now, that's a strange command in verse 2 when he says to Timothy, Timothy, I command you to let no one look down on you because of your age. Timothy, you must ensure this. That this doesn't happen. Now, you might ask, how old was Timothy when he says he was a, for his youth? Well, if you look at Acts 16, when he was um, first with the Apostle Paul and at the time of writing of 1 Timothy, Timothy was probably in his mid-30s. So, mid so if you're below 30, you, must, you are young, young. Okay, you're like a young, young man and woman. Okay, and that made me felt younger as well. Like, yes, I'm just, at least I'm 30, so I'm good. <laughs> okay, um, even though I'm bald. But, okay. But no doubt, Paul wrote this both for Timothy, so Timothy, you must not let this happen, but also for older ears in the church, the older people in the church that might be tempted to look down on Timothy because of his age. That's a temptation for any older person, right? What is this child going to teach us now? Like, how old are you? Right? What are you going to teach us now from the Word of God? Now, I felt this very personally when I was at Clagstorp, and I just want to say, not that Clagstorp did anything wrong, but the comment there was often made, like, I can be your grandmother. I can be your grandfather. And what the effect that had on me as a younger pastor was struggling to pastor the older people. It was hard. It was hard to not let someone look down on me because of my age and to shepherd them faithfully. So now you might ask, how must Timothy do this? How can Timothy not allow people to look down on his age? Well, two ways. Number one, by obeying verse 11. So how does he allow not anyone to look down on his youth? By doing verse 11, which says, command and teach. 
He must not let others despise him by not shrinking back in fear to tell all their people and everybody the truth of God's word. He must command these things. There's authority um, when the pastor expounds the, the word of God faithfully to the people of God. So he's not to look at his age. He must look at his position and the word of God. Look at what Paul, Paul exemplifies this in Acts 20 verse 26. He says, when Paul says this, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. I love that word shrink. Paul did not cower backwards in fear of telling everybody what they needed to know. He loved people more than he feared people. He was willing to lose relationships for the sake of speaking the truth in love. So Timothy must follow Paul's example. And we see this close connection, not just with Timothy, but with Titus. Um, just look at Titus 2 verse 15, when Paul says basically the same thing. He says, declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. You see, it will always be a scary thing to tell people what to do based on the word of God. Especially when it's directed against their lifestyles, when people need to change the way they live or the way they think. But notice something, although Timothy must do this by commanding and teaching, he mustn't do this harshly. If you scan down to chapter 5, 1 Timothy 5 verse 1 and 2, it says, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, or younger men as brothers. Okay. So even though Timothy must command even older men and women, he has to do that with the appropriate respect for their age. So you shouldn't treat them like just a buddy, like all the people, they're just like their buddy. And I think that attitude is reflected in the Old Covenant, Old Testament, Leviticus 19.32. This is something we should take note of when it says, you shall stand up before the gray head. I love that. And honor the face of an old man and you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. Honor is due to older people. So in the Afrikaans culture, the womantani aspect of that, I think that's good. I think that's a good habit, unless they tell you, please don't call me that. Then you honor them by trying to tell them on their name, which is very hard. I, I've struggled with that very, very long. But what is also clear from this passage is that because Timothy is to command and teach these things, and that he must not rebuke an older man harshly, that Paul expected Timothy to speak to older men and women about their sins, about their failures. Can you imagine how scary that must be to go to an older man or older woman and to confront them with their failures and their sins that you've seen? Now, of course, with much humility, but this is what Timothy was to do. He mustn't let someone despise him for his youth and say, I can't do that, I'm a young man. Like, no, you must be faithful. Now, the lesson for all of you is this. You might need to speak to someone of a different age group if you really love them. And, and then, of course, if you have to speak to someone older than you, then obviously you need to speak to people your own age if you see people walking in sin and people doing something wrong. If you really love them, you will speak the truth to them, even risking the relationship itself. This is what true love looks like. You too must act like men. Act like a man and be courageous. Like, to, like Joshua, you need to sometimes be strong and courageous to tell people what they must do according to the word of God. 
So of course, if this is just your own opinion and you, your own authority, then that doesn't matter. But you should speak into people's lives based on what you see in the Bible. Now that's the first way how Timothy must not let anyone despise him for his youth by obeying verse 11. But the second way he must not let anyone despise him is by obeying verse 12, the, the next verse, which, which says, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example. I find that so interesting. How does Timothy uphold his authority in the church? By setting an example. So again, a young man might hear, don't let anybody despise you. And what is the temptation for a younger man, a young bull, right? Okay, I'm going to throw my weight around. I'm just going to shout commands left and right and see how, how many people will just follow me right? and, and do what I say. Almost like a husband or a father that thinks he's the head of the house, but he doesn't lift a finger to do anything in the house. He just loves to shout commands. You, 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 do this, do this, serve me, serve me, serve me. Beloved, that's not the way of Christian leadership. So you see, there is leadership. There's a command and a teach. But Christian leadership looks totally different from the world. Listen to Jesus, Matthew 20. One of my favorite texts on leadership when Jesus says, Jesus called them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles, what? Lord. You see, domineer, control, lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. There is something wrong with the pastor that tries to uphold his authority by simply demanding that you obey or respect him. There's something unhealthy when a pastor is a bully in the name of being the leader. There's something terribly wrong when people are afraid of their pastor. In some churches, that's a reality. Some men, some pastors are so domineering that you don't feel you can correct him or speak to him about anything. That's lording it over people. And Peter says exactly the same thing. Look at what he says in 1 Peter 5 verse 3. He says to, to elders, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. That's the way. Your authority in your, in your life and in the church will be upheld when you seek to set an example. Now in this case, it's a total example in speech and in your conduct. Now think of your life. How much of your life consists of your, your living and your speaking? Okay, that's everything, right? So Timothy, be an example in all areas. The way you speak must be full of salt, seasoned with salt. The way you live. And then he, he lists three other things in verse 12. His conduct specifically in love. He must be an example to love the lovely and to love the unlovable. The, the great and the least of these. And you know, the Lord is going to fill the church with both. So you can practice <laughs> to love everybody. How to be a friend of sinners. How to be a lover of the saints. That The pastor must show an example of how that looks like. But also in faith. He must be an example in faith. That is by trusting God. The pastor must be an example of how to trust God with in the good times and in the bad times. How to cling to God's promises, which will lead to faithfulness in his life. And then lastly, also in his purity. He needs to be an example in purity. His self-control over his sexual desires must be in control. As Paul said in chapter 3, for the qualification of an elder, he must be a one-woman man. He must be an example of that, how that looks like. 
For younger pastors, scan down to chapter 5, verse 2. There's a way to do this when it says older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, in all purity. A younger pastor might be tempted to not treat younger women appropriately. So Timothy must watch himself, must treat younger women as his sisters with all dignity, all respect, all purity. And people need to see that and follow him in that. Now, beloved, for us, there's a powerful lesson for those of you who are in authority or in leadership in any kind. If you are a husband, you have authority from God over your wife and over your children. That's what the Bible teaches. But how do you uphold your authority in the home? Not by throwing your weight around, but by setting an example. It's easy to follow a husband who's willing to get his hands dirty with the dishes, who's willing to get on his knees, change the diapers, and play with the kids. Right? Who is on his knees and says, Lord, not my will be done, but your will be done. That's ironically how you uphold your authority. It's easy to follow a man like that. Who's an example of personal devotion to God, who reads his Bible, who prays fervently, who meditates on the scriptures. You see, so you don't just command your family. Don't just like point fingers and like you, you, you do, do that and this. There might be times you need to do that. So like Abraham, remember when he rushed home and said to Sarah, prepare the meal. Like there's, there's men, I don't know if he knew there were angels, but prepare the meal. And, and she obeyed, calling him Lord. Right? So sometimes you need to do that. But how do you uphold your authority? By your example. And women, this is the kind of man you are looking for. One that you can follow. One that you trust. A man that gets his hands dirty in serving the least of these, the weak, the vulnerable. If the man you are considering to marry must always be dragged and begged to come to church or to read his Bible or to do any good thing, red flag, at least orange flag, okay? I'm not saying off the table, I'm just saying be weary. Young men... Strive to be like this. Set an example in your words, your conduct, your love, your faith, your purity. Strive for this. This is commendable. This is a commendable leader to be like this. So Timothy, the first way you, uphold, you commend your ministry is by upholding your authority. But the second way to commend his ministry is by growing his gift. Growing his gift. Look at verse 13 to 14. It says... Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. So again, these two verses are closely related, and therefore we can put them together. So the question comes up in our minds, what gift did Timothy get? What was this gift? Um, we see that this gift was given, and I think a better translation is confirmed by prophecy. So I don't think the gift was given through prophecy. I think it was confirmed by prophecy that he has this gift, that the Lord really has called him. Just page over to 2 Timothy 1. 2 Timothy 1 verse 6 says, Paul says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear but of power and love and self-control. 
it seems that when Paul says do not neglect the gift and to fan into flame the gift, that this was a temptation for Timothy to let it die, to let the, the gift that he has received, maybe because of the fear of the people in the church, maybe because of the, the, the discouragement of being a younger man, or it might have just been plain laziness. It's hard work to grow your gift. But Paul says, don't neglect this gift. Fan it into flame. Now, what is this gift? At the end of the day, we do not know. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But I do think verse 13 is a clue. So if you go back to 1 Timothy 4, you read verse 13. Paul says, until I come, devote yourself to the public teaching or reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. I think this gift might have either been the gift of teaching itself to be able to teach or a gift that closely is closely associated with the preaching of God's word or the teaching of God's word. And he says he must dis- devote himself to this. And here he is he, commanded to grow the gift in three areas, public reading, exhortation, which in I think some translation says preaching, and then teaching. All three of those things are important. The practice of reading the scriptures at church was a practice that was carried over from the synagogues. Remember in those days, uh, the ordinary believer didn't have a copy of their own Bibles, their own scrolls. So they, they relied on the reading of the scriptures at church or at the synagogues to be able to hear the word of God. That, so the reading was a very precious moment for many people, right? Um, and look at this practice. It, we see it, for example, in Acts 13. Look at Acts 13 verse 15. When it says, um, after the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, brothers, if you have any word of encouragement, this is the same word of exhortation in our text, for the people say it. So by the way, that's why we have in our services a dedicated section where we just read the Bible, where our goal is not to explain it or to teach it, but just to read it, just to hear the words of God, because we believe that hearing comes, that faith comes from hearing and hearing through the words of Christ. I think it's a sad loss in any church when the reading of Scripture is neglected. But reading alone is not enough. It says reading and exhortation, preaching, encouraging. I think that goes back to verse 11, commanding people to do what the Bible says. So there's a reading, and then it it is rubbed in the hearts of God's people to say, now go, do it. God has designed this What we're doing now, this assembly, to include the reading, the preaching, and the teaching, and there's something within preaching that gives us special encouragement you don't get from just reading or just hearing. It gives us specific resolve and encouragement to do what God has said. Preaching puts petrol in the tank, wood on the fire, zeal in our hearts to simply go and do what we've just heard, right? And this is why, beloved, I am never surprised when people consistently neglect the meeting and the gathering of the church and just have a low zeal for God. They are missing out one of the key things God wants to do in their lives. You know, most of you have probably heard of these verses before. So it's not necessarily to just learn new information. Often it is just to hear, go do it. That's the function of preaching. 
Now, let me pause here and try to answer a very common question we have in our times. Okay, Timothy's gift was very clear, right? It was clear. It was prophesied. He knows. How do I know what my gift is? Have you ever asked that question? How do I know what's my spiritual gift? Now, Paul Washer, in an interview, answered this so well, I'm just going to, st- I'm stealing that. And I'm going to give it to you. You see, pastors are thieves that have stolen from other thieves. Okay, that's, that's what I'm doing here. Okay. But listen, he said, and I think it's so helpful, the way you don't discover your gift is through a questionnaire, okay? Or a question or a psychological test that tells you at the end of the day, boom, there's your spiritual gift. That's not the way. The problem with that is, is even unbelievers can fill it out and discover their spiritual gifts. So then it's not really spiritual, is it? It's not something that the Holy Spirit gives in that, in that idea. And also, the early church didn't have any questionnaires to find their gifts or discover their gifts. Okay, but the first and the most important way for you to discover your gift is to saturate your mind and your thinking in the Word of God. Romans 12 verse 2 is such an important text about how to know the will of God for your life. Listen to this. It says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by tasting you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect. So Paul Washer said this, is you come to know the will of God by reading the will of God. That's how you come to know the will of God, by reading His will. And then the more you read His will, the better you'll be able to discern God's will in your life in other areas. Now after that important step, this next question might surprise you. After you are saturated with thinking biblically, The question is this, what do you aspire to do for God and His church? What do you desire and what comes naturally to you? Now, you see this in conversion. One person comes to salvation, one person comes to Christ, and you cannot keep him off the streets. He's in the streets sharing the gospel, handing out tracts. Nobody tells him anything. The next person gets saved and he locks himself in his room for four hours straight and just studies the word viciously, right? Another person is saved, and you find him in the kitchen washing the dishes and just helping with practical things. You, you don't, like, ask them anything. They just go and they do it. Another person is saved, and they're just generous. They can't help but give mercy to the weak, and they love to give to people and to support people. You see? Now, let me ask you, which one of those people I've just mentioned is more spiritual than the other? The answer is all of the above. All of the above are equally spiritual, but because they are gifted differently by God, by the Holy Spirit. What comes naturally because of their delight in God and His Word and His church. So a simple way to discover your gift is just to serve the church. Just find something to do and do that with all of your might. Don't ask, is this my gift or I want to discover my gift. Don't make that the main question. Make serving Christ, serving the church, the main thing, and with time, it will become clear what God wants you to do. That's how it works. And just like Timothy, this is something you must devote, devote, don't neglect, devote yourself to this. If you don't use it, you lose it. Or at least you weaken it in such a way that it grows dim and useless. So you must just be practicing a lot. Whatever your gift might be, whether you know it or not, serve wherever you can. Trust God to grow the gift you have. In that way, you will commend your life. 
And Timothy will commend his ministry by growing his gift. And here's the last way. The last way Timothy is to commend his ministry is by committing with everything he has. Commit his everything. We read that in verse 15 to 16. He says, Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. Verse 15 and 16 is a single idea. It's committing with everything you have, Timothy. Persist, practice, immerse. You see, that's what, that's what he is to do. That, that, that phrase in verse 15 when it says, immerse yourself in them, the NET says, be absorbed in them. Another translation says, make them your absorbing interest. So literally, the, the phrase just means be in it continually. Be a Baptist. Be immersed in it. Okay? I love how one commentator wrote this. He says, Paul wants Timothy to be all in. In the sense of fully committed and engaged. While there is a danger of taking oneself too seriously, there's also the opposite error of approaching a task too casually, lacking urgency and a due sense of that task's gravity. So he must be so committed to the gift he has, to shepherding the church, to growing, that all must see his what? In verse 15. His progress. That's the true test. Hard work results in progress, but laziness, half-hearted commitments leads to stagnation and Backwards going, right? Back, going backwards and destruction. Now, this gives us a very important truth for pastors, and I hope you hear me well now. Pastors are in the middle of their sanctification. Timothy is to work and be immersed to make progress, not to be perfect. That day only comes when either Christ comes or we, or we die. He must make progress, and he will continue to make progress on this side of eternity, until Christ comes. Even Paul himself said that he wasn't a perfect man. Philippians 3 verse 12, he says, Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. So even Paul says, I'm still making progress as an apostle. I'm still growing in my sanctification, my holiness. So no pastor nor any Christian must ever think this. I've arrived. I know everything I need to know about the Bible, about God. I'm done with my holiness, my sanctification. Especially pastors, because it is so tempting to give the idea that, that pastors don't have any struggles, that they don't have any weaknesses, that they don't have any seasons of doubts. Why not? Why is that something pastors shouldn't do? Well, first, it will be hypocritical. It's just simply not true that pastors don't have weaknesses and doubts and sins that they struggle with. Every pastor, every Christian leader still struggles. If anyone says he has no sin, he deceives himself and the truth is not in him. That's what John says. But secondly, it won't just be hypocritical. It will also be incredibly discouraging for the flock. Discouraging. Why? Because the ordinary saint that just always struggles, that just battles forth with his doubts and his weaknesses and things like, but yeah, pastors never struggle with that. Leaders never struggle. And that is why, beloved, I, I ask this every growth group and I ask it here from the pulpit, pray for my godliness. 
pray for my holiness, that I would be holy as a pastor. I need your prayers. And that's why I pray for one another. Carry one another's burdens. We need to never think. So don't come to church and try to put on a, a facade or a picture of yourself that you, you, you don't have struggles. You don't have any weaknesses. What a good church we would be if we are able to just confess our sins to one another, struggling with weaknesses. Brother, help me. Sister, help me. I need wisdom. I need counsel. I just need your prayers. I'm struggling with this. The commitment required of this pastor to be all in is also required of every saint. Look, listen to Romans 12 verse 11. It says, Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. So the question for all of us is, are you fully committed to Christ and serving Him and His kingdom? Are you all in? Or are you checking things out? Are you waiting for things to happen? No, you must immerse yourself in these things, in the Word, in prayer, in the, in the lives of messy Christians, messy lives, right? We need to be involved in one another's lives. And again, what's the goal? Is to make progress. Don't say, I need to, yeah, I've said this last time as well, like memorize a thousand verses for next Sunday. Don't do that. You're not going to get it right. Say, I just want one. I just want to make progress for next Sunday. Next week, I want to make progress in this. And this is done by doing verse 16. And this is the last verse we're looking at. Look at verse 16. It says, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this. For by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. It's a temptation for especially pastors because they are teaching the word of God to not watch themselves, to start living double lives, to start living a hypocritical life. They, they preach the truth while they live. Um, they, they, they don't have any control over their, their sins in private. And so with you, beloved, don't just think just because you're sitting here, all is well. You need to watch your heart. You need to watch yourself. You need to have frequent conversations with your own heart about where it is. Is it still zealous for God, serving Him, all in, committed to Him and to His kingdom? And Timothy is not just to watch himself, but he's also to watch his teaching. As one person said, this is not a quick checkup. It's not what Paul has in mind, but a consistent attention. But what is surprising is the, is the reason he gives. Did you notice in verse 16, why must Timothy do this? Because... For by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. If Timothy does not watch himself and not watch the teaching with persistence, he will be lost and all his hearers will be lost as well. Pastors are like those leading a group of mountain climbers to a summit. So as a, the leader of the mountain climb expedition, he must be, regular, uh, um, he must be fit, somewhat fit. He must know the path. He needs to give clear direction for the rest to know where the next step is and where to, where to go. If not, if the leader doesn't do this, if he doesn't watch himself, he himself will fall and die and all those who follows him will fall and die as well. Such is the pastor. He must watch himself. It is a common feature that the church believes what the pastor preaches. And so if the pastor doesn't watch his doctrine, if he doesn't preach the truth, he will mislead many people. 
And so the pastor must watch himself and you need to watch himself, you, yourself, and the teaching as well. Be sure that the gospel is preached. That's the way the Lord has designed the church. The way God keeps us saved is through the ordinary means of grace. I remember once I was going to church and I said, I prayed this to the Lord. I said, Lord, if this week is one day longer, I am no longer a Christian. I'm done. It's too difficult. It's too hard. And then I came to church and we're singing these songs and I'm hearing the Bible preach and I'm like, I'm such an idiot. Lord, thank you that you are so good. And it just, I, I just felt like I was saved once again. You know, just kept once again from, from being lost. And that's what God wants to do for you. He keeps us saved. Eternal security is a community project. To not lose your salvation is a community project of saints and pastors and elders. So this is a portrait of a commendable pastor and leader. He needs to uphold his authority by faithfully teaching and commanding the truth and also by setting an example. He also commends his ministry by growing his gift, not neglecting it, being serving and, and practicing the, the gift that God has given him. But then also he commends his ministry by committing wholeheartedly, being all in, watching himself and watching the teaching with persistence. Beloved, in all of this, I want to encourage you to look to your shepherd, who is the shepherd of your soul, who came to save us from our sins. He was all in for us. He died on the cross for your failures, your sins. He is faithful. But let us now follow him on that same road. Let us deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow Christ. There is a crown of glory for all God's people who embrace the crown of thorns now by being rejected by people, by being mocked. And he commands all men everywhere to repent. Repent from your sins. Repent from your half-hearted commitment to Christ and serve him wholeheartedly. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you know our deepest fears and insecurities and sins and that you encourage us on a weekly basis through your word, Lord. Thank you for your precious word that keeps us in the faith, that stokes the fire of zeal for us. Lord, it is a great temptation for, for myself and for many of us, Lord, to become complacent to neglect the gift you've given us, the gifts you've given us sometimes. Oh, Father, we pray that you would help us to follow Christ wholeheartedly and commit and give ourselves to him. Those who might not know you, that you would draw their hearts to Christ, show them that only Christ, there is life and life to the full. Well, thank you that you are faithful and we can look to you, Lord, as we run this race before us, looking to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. We pray these things for your namesake. Amen.